Hey, Sam. Hey, Beth. How's it going? It's an extra amazing day because it's a holiday. Yeah. But we're still working. (laughs) Are we calling this work now? I mean... They say, you you know, if you do what you love every day, you never truly work. But That's true. You know, this part probably isn't work, but I, I imagine when you edit things, it's work. So we're causing work for you. There we go. But whatever. It's fine. I'll agree with that. I don't have to do my big girl job today. So three-day weekend for the win. <laughs> I like it. Yes. So what are you drinking over there? So I promised that I would be drinking a summer beer again, Mm -hmm. and I fulfilled that promise. It's a Boulevard Brewing Company's Jam Band, which Mm -hmm. is a berry ale. It's got blueberry, raspberry, and cherry in it. And it's delicious. That sounds really good. Yeah, it is really good. Boulevard is a brewery out of Kansas City, Missouri, and most of their beer is really good. Whoa! This is a 5.9 percenter for a berry oh. ale. Oops. That's going to get drunk. That's going to get drunk. Usually my summer beers are only like four percenters if I'm lucky. Yeah. So uh, that's a pretty decent beer for for a girly berry beer. Yeah. So good job, Boulevard Brewing Company. Yeah. Bravo to you. <laughs> what are you drinking over there? So today I'm I'm being super classy. I have when was this? Let me see. It doesn't have a year on it. But you know those like when you used to go to McDonald's and you'd be able to get those like collector glasses for Disney movies or whatever. Yeah. I, so I have a Shrek the Third glass, <laughs> and I put ice in it because my white wine that I wanted to try was not chilled. So I'm super classy with ice in my wine today. And it's a Jean-Julien Vin Blanc, which means white wine. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> and it says Vin de la something, something. But it's basically like wine of the European community. And like I was reading the bottle before we got started, and it says that it pays a tribute to the harvesters of our old continent who all along the 20th century were crossing borders during harvest time to work hard, but also celebrate together the magic of the wine. It was a time of celebration, just what the wine is all about. And it's from France. Um, I thought that was kind of cool little thing that like they were like coming together to just, you know, to do wine together. Um, the bottle's pretty cool too. It's got a little shield on it and swords and a crown and it's 12%. So yay. <laughs> I like it. It yeah. it ties together like the harvest theme too. Cause yeah. technically like we're into September. So we're like starting harvest season, right? Yeah. And we like to bring people together with our drinking and farming. And that sounds like what they were doing. Perfect. They yeah. are drinking and farming too. Great. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like the spirit of our podcast in a bottle of wine. So we'll make sure we take fancy pictures of what we're drinking because we do have our drink sponsored today, don't we? We do. And our drink sponsor today is Jessica Hawkins, which happens Woo. to be my oldest friend Aww. on the planet. We've what been friends friend. since I was five. 
oh my gosh what yeah, a good right? friend <laughs> not like i'm not saying like oh my gosh bev is so old that is so long i know but like but it's like i don't think i talk to anybody that isn't related to me that i knew when i was five so it's kind of a big deal yeah it is kind of a big deal yeah, yeah. and she decided that she wanted to sponsor our drinks so thank you to you jessica cheers and she Cheers. actually goes by Jessa, or she was going by Jessa. Oh. Maybe she goes by Jess now. Maybe it was in high school that we called her Jessa. I don't oh. know. I'll have to ask her. She's in Japan right now because her Whoa. husband is in the military. Oh, how So that's cool. where they're stationed at. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's cool or not to be stationed in Japan, but I think it's super cool that that's what he does for a living because I'm glad I don't have to. <laughs> well, they've, that's it. This is their second tour in Japan. Uh, they oh, liked wow. it so much the first time. I think they put in for a request to go back. Oh, damn. I'm pretty that's sure. Cool. Yeah. I mean, because Japan is pretty cool. So yeah. they seem to really be enjoying it. Um, and also, Jessica sent us some rooster shirts from her LuLaRoe business. Yes. So when we post our pictures of us drinking, we'll be wearing our rooster shirts. And we'll put a link to her little uh, LuLaRoe group. So if you want um, farming LuLaRoe stuff, she's pretty good at finding it. She's going to be like, thanks, Bev, for giving me so much work. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's cool that you're shouting her out. And if you don't know what LuLaRoe is at this point, you're probably living under a rock, but that's okay. Uh, if you haven't tried their leggings, you probably should because it is like a staple um, in my winter uh, closet fashion sense that I don't really have. Um, it is like a unicorn to find the black leggings. but Oh, and I'm get... wearing those right now. Oh, they're so good, though. <laughs> they're so they good. <laughs> But I, get, I have thunder thighs, so I get what they call um, chub rub, I think is the scientific term. So oh. mine get little holes in them after a while because I wear them so much. Um, so I'm always on the lookout for black LuLaRoe leggings because they are butter soft. I'll add you to her group so that you'll see next time she has some. She keeps oh, her group do. small, like intentionally, so that it's not just overrun by people and like other consultants and stuff. So That's so smart. Yeah, I think um, I'll I'll have to ask her like how to send people that we're sending to her so that she like lets them in and whatnot. Yeah, because um, she's pretty picky. Um, but that maybe. just is a testament to how cool her LuLaRoe business is. So yeah, maybe she if she doesn't have any questions, like you know how to get into our group, you have to answer questions. Oh yeah, if she has something that. like that, we can just say they're drinking farm. Yep. Bev and Sam sent me like a secret society. <laughs> Ooh, we started a secret society. I like it. Yeah. Don't, you know, I stopped talking about the Illumina Illuminati and now we're talking about secret society. Like starting our own. Do you think Illuminati gets mad if you like start to try to compete with them as a secret society? Or do you think they're so secret that they just don't care? I don't know, um, but I heard that if you say Illuminati into the mirror three times, I don't know where I was going with that. I, guess. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to tell me, Bev? Because there is like a mirror super close to me and I've said it twice already, <laughs> but I wasn't looking into the mirror. Should I be worried? Uh, I don't know if your reflection was in it. I would be worried because no, uh, it's not. I'm safe. Whatever I'm happens good. to you, you never find out about it because the person doesn't get to speak about it. So yeah. there we go. Are we feeling spooky because it's September now and we're super close to October, which means Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> I love Halloween season, though. Halloween oh, season is one of my favorites. Me too. I We 
I uh, decided, and this is a little BS. I know we cut most of our BS these days, but uh, I binge watched four Netflix movies and two of them were horror films. And it just really put me in the mood for like Halloween stuff. So I'm ready. I know you're drinking a summer beer over there, but I feel ready for fall. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on getting ready. Like I said in our BS, I have new fall boots. So now yep. I'm just counting down yep, for yep. fall. So... Well, uh, that gives us a good segue to remind you that if you're looking for all of our BS, it is up on the Patreon page and you don't have to be a Patreon contributor to listen to it. It's up there in public. So it'll just be labeled episode 26 BS and you can listen to it to your heart's content. Yeah. So if you guys missed the last episode, why we're doing that is because Bev posted this super cool survey Um, That allows you guys to give us anonymous feedback. And some of the feedback was like, oh, you guys BS too much. Um, Some of you actually said that you like the BS because you get to know us. So we didn't want to completely take it away. But we realized like if somebody just searches for, you know, farming on iTunes and finds us and they haven't been along for the whole journey or the ride or whatever the hell we want to call it, um, they might get turned off if we're talking about super personal things that they're not in the loop about. So We didn't want to take it away, so that's your option to go do that. But um, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but make sure you take that survey for us if you haven't already, and Bev will tell you where you can find that. Is it just linked into the show notes? I'll put a link to it in the show notes because they didn't give us like our own specific link. That's really easy to like say out loud. So yeah, it's just going to be a link in the show notes. So however you're listening to the podcast, go to the show notes, snag that link and go take the survey for us we will be forever grateful for it um Mm -hmm. i know we we talk about um supporting the podcast and uh, you know if patreon isn't your thing and you don't like to buy tumblers and you don't care about any of our sponsors like taking that survey is like your your amnesty for supporting the podcast because it's it's supporting us whether you know yeah yeah because it's super helpful so there and we appreciate and everything and anything you guys are doing to help keep this podcast going because we have a great time doing it we're building a fun community we love it yeah and we hope you love it too and the name of our podcast is we drink and we farm things so welcome to we drink and we farm things where we drink and talk about farming things it's like 10 minutes in (laughs) and that's when we introduce ourselves hey at least we did it though well, we're working on this. We're working on how to structure our show notes so that we get all the things in the right order so that you guys know what to expect. I mean, yeah. I know that the randomness can be kind of fun, but it can also be kind of obnoxious if you just came here for drinking and farming. So, yeah. So, if you're we're new, working on it, welcome. We're trying to make this better for everyone, including <laughs> if you just found us, which we did. I did, you know, we have these questions, um, and this is another segue. I know we're kind of skipping into housekeeping. Oh, that's so all right. Not, we'll just, this is going to be housekeeping. Our structure. <laughs> and we'll move the rest of our structure down. There we go. We got this. We're flexible like that. And you uh, guys are flexible too. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I noticed because we do ask some questions before you join our Facebook group. Um, we drink and we farm things is what it's called. So you can do a quick search and it'll come up. Um, we One of the questions we added in there is how you found us. And like somebody did legitimately find us just from searching on iTunes, which is really cool. That is um, really cool. I missed that mm-hmm. one. That's super neat. Welcome, person who found us on iTunes. We're yeah. talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think somebody else commented in the group a while ago that they that's how they found us too, maybe. Or maybe I'm just imagining it. But yeah, we want this to be for all of our new and I don't want to say old, but current subscribers. Yeah, existing. That's a good word. Um, We have all the words. We do. So make sure you go over to our Facebook group, We Drink In, We Farm Things, because, you know, it's a fun little community. Uh, I noticed somebody posted today that they just got their first chickens and they laid eggs uh, or they got them last night and one already laid an egg overnight, which is great because sometimes when chickens travel, um, they get a little stressed out and they don't want to lay right away. So that hen must have just been so excited about her new digs that she just popped one out. (laughs) That's awesome. I missed that. So after we're done recording, I'll have to go check out the Facebook group. It was like, oh, it was Bess Bauman. I just pulled up my... Oh, okay. Congratulations, Bess, on your chickens. I know you're really excited about all the things you're working on. So sweet. Thanks for sharing with us. She said it's the best day ever. So she shared the best day ever with us, which is super sweet. And that makes me so happy. Like, seriously. My heart just like, I think I got choked up a little bit. Aww. All the feels. You haven't drank that much yet. No. (laughs) I can have feelings without drinking. What are you saying about me, Sam? I mean, I had feelings (laughs) when drinking a particular creamer that we talked about in the BS. Good point. So if you want to hear hear about how a beverage almost made Sam cry, make sure you go listen to the BS (laughs) over on Patreon. (laughs) So what else do we have for housekeeping? We're up on Stitcher Um, and Spotify and iTunes. So however you want to listen to us, you should be able to find us now. I don't think I'm missing anywhere. But if you think we're missing somewhere, send us a message. We'll... uh, We'll make sure that we get that rectified. And yeah, you know, and make sure you review us on wherever you listen. We, I know I check the iTunes one all the time, kind of obsessively. Um, I haven't checked the other ones yet, but it's super cool when you guys rate and review us because it helps the podcast in a free way. Um, because those ratings and reviews on iTunes do pop like promote the popularity of the podcast which means more people, which means, um, you know, better quality podcasts to you eventually with sponsors and all that fun stuff. So if you're looking for a free way um, to support us, just rate and review us if you haven't already. Yep, that's right. And we're currently doing a Patreon drive as well. Um, I'll have a link to Patreon in the show notes. If you join our Patreon this month and existing Patreon supporters, um, you guys will all get a gift in October if you're at the $5 level or above, which is the swag level for Patreon. So there will be links in there so that you can read all about that and check it out. And of course, if you ever have any questions about Patreon, feel free to bug us. You can bug us in the group or on Instagram or drinkandfarm at gmail.com. However you want to get a hold of us. We're pretty accessible. Yeah. And just to remind you guys, um, any order that comes through the Drink and Farm store until we run out is going to get a free Drink and Farm honey and root koozie. I think I mentioned that last episode. But oh, yeah. We still have lots of those. So if you've been eyeballing a tumbler or anything cool from our store, um, go ahead and, you know, support us that way. We'll send you a little free gifty. There we go. I like free gifties. Yeah, free gifts are fun. Mm-hmm. I like them also. I think that's it for housekeeping, though. 
Uh, I felt like there was one more thing I was going to say. Oh, uh, we haven't had a farm story in a while. We love reading your listener farm stories. Mm-hmm. So if you have anything that's funny, weird, heartwarming, whatever, send us your farm stories. You can email them to drinkandfarm at gmail.com or you can email them to us or email, no, DM them, mm-hmm. private message them, PM them through Instagram. There we go. Yeah. Message us through Instagram, DM, PM, whatever the hell you call it. Just do it. And we will read them out loud and give you a shout out. Because Unless nice you don't want a shout out. Yeah. If you if you want to remain anonymous, make sure you say that. Otherwise, we will say your name. Yeah. <laughs> or at least your Instagram handle. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's all I have for housekeeping. Housekeeping corner is over. Woohoo. Uh-oh, I said woohoo. <laughs> yeah, it's our only sound effect right now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so corrections corner. It looks like you have something to correct, Beverly. I do. I have something pretty serious to correct. So I had to edit something out of the last episode because I learned all about medicated chick feed and how it wasn't antibiotics. Well, so what I had originally said was that medicated chick feed had an inactivated version of coccidia in it which was not correct and I cut it because it was so incorrect I didn't want anybody to think that for a whole week before I got around to saying the correction <laughs> so what I think I did was I think I mixed up the ingredient in the coccidia inoculation and the coccidia medicated feed um, and I just like mashed them together and put them in the feed so the feed doesn't have inactivated versions of coccidia in it. It has a medication in it that's known as an anti-coccidiostat. Coccidiostat, do I say that right? I think so, like looking at it. I think yeah. that's how you say it. Or I think I said that right. Um, and the most common one is amprolam. So it is a medication. It's not an antibiotic, um, but the medication works by preventing the coccidia's thiamine uptake, which, um, you know, makes it die off. And um, that's how it gives your chicks protection. There is an inoculation out there, which they just like spray the day old chicks with the compromised coccidia eggs. And what happens is the chicks ingest the the compromised coccidia eggs. And their gut bacteria is able to help them fight the compromised eggs, and they build up a natural immunity to the coccidia that way. Um, but my check, my pet chicken on their website doesn't recommend giving the inoculation because they think that chicks that are shipped are going through enough stress without having to add like fighting, mm-hmm. you know, compromised coccidia eggs to their list of things that they're trying to do while in shipment. So maybe the inoculation is really best like for people who are hatching at home or picking up locally or whatnot. Um, but I did want to point out that there were two options out there for protecting yourself against coccidia. And that's all I got on that. That's good to know. <laughs> no, that was super concise but informative. So I appreciate that because I didn't know that that little inoculation thingy was even an option. So that was cool. Yeah, I didn't know it was either until I started kind of digging into it. And well, you know, we talked about on the last episode, I started digging into it because I don't feed medicated chick feed. And like so far, I haven't had an issue, but Mm -hmm. I don't have very many chickens. So I don't have a whole ton of biosecurity issues. 
but like my chicks are getting old enough now i would kind of like to let them out on the grass in like one of the little like cage pens that i have so that they could start Mm kind of pecking around and building up some immunity to things and eating some grass and bugs but i have to pick a spot in my yard that my free range chickens don't go to because i don't want to accidentally introduce some bacteria to these new baby chicks that they're not ready to fight yet um, because right. my older hens, they're free range hens. They have all sorts of funky stuff on them. I'm sure like they're healthy, <laughs> uh-huh. but you know, like they hang out next to the wild bird feeder. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know, they're probably like chasing like little mice around or snakes or something. Yeah. Like, they're getting into all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So like they can really like make baby chicks sick if I accidentally put their crate on top of something you know like an area where they've pooped or like you know rubbed their feathers into the grass big time and right so I'm looking for a spot in my yard that they haven't compromised Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I think I've decided it's the front yard they tend to shy away from the front yard oh okay there you go so speaking of medicated chick feed it looks like you have a little follow-up note too about um, feeding ducklings medicated feed Oh, yeah, that's right. Last episode, you had mentioned that you don't feed medicated chick feed to ducklings. So I did a little bit of research on it. And it turns out that that's sort of like a current wives tale. I don't like to call it an old wives tale because it's like newer Uh advice. Um, And it's because the the active ingredient in medicated chick feed used to be like a type of arsenic. And waterfowl are really sensitive to arsenic. So that's why ducklings and goslings couldn't have medicated chick feed. But now that they're using the amprolium in it, it's totally safe. But medicated chick feed isn't really formulated for waterfowl anyhow. So like you do still have like some vitamin deficiency issues. Uh, what was the one that they said? Um, the niacin deficiency. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you can rectify by adding brewer's yeast to the feed. Yeah, I think because, like you said, this is kind of the current wives' tale thing. Um, there are still a lot of old school people out there that are very against uh, feeding medicated chick feed to ducklings, even though the facts state, you know, that it's probably fine and you can supplement with this and that and blah, blah, blah. So just to be careful, like if you're going to go on a forum or on a Facebook post and a Facebook group, gird your loins for some people to argue with you because there are just some people that are always going to be set in that mindset. Um, Because this is still like, you know, it's like 20 years ago, but it's still pretty new information. So just be prepared, um, but don't guilt, like feel bad if you feed your ducklings or goslings medicated chick feed, because like Bev said, you're probably fine. Personally, we just use like chick starter or, um, like there are different kinds of feed out there to grow waterfowl. Um, we just use that from chick, like little baby or not chick from little baby duckling, um, all the way up until they're like egg laying. We use the same exact thing. Uh, we haven't had any problems yet. <laughs> um, obviously you want to feed ducklings crumble and not pellets cause it'll choke, but we tend to use the same kind of feed all the way through for them so they're a little different than uh trying to raise chicks because they have different dietary requirements when they're young compared to when they're egg laying so little fun facts about how sam does things (laughs) i like it i like learning how we do things fun stuff 
So what's new with you over in Ohio, Viv, on your homestead? Well, now that we're gearing up for fall, I actually put in my fall garden today. Ooh, did you put garlic in? No, I did not put garlic in yet, um, but my husband did build the garlic bed. So, and I started chopping away the weed jungle (laughs) where the garlic bed is going to go. So, yeah, the way that my house is set up, if nobody's ever seen pictures of it before, I actually have three really big garden beds in the backyard that the previous owner put together. Well, I'm a terrible weeder, and now they're all three are just jungles. That's like my front garden bed. Mine, it's freaking horrible. And I, like, the the previous owners put down that weed barrier stuff, and I was like, "F this stuff. This is stupid." Blah blah blah. Um. Now I get why it was there though, because like the weeds up there are like viney and just spread, and then there are like super tall weeds. Like I don't understand how I can't keep like vegetable plants alive. And I water them and I pay attention to them. But these weeds, I ignore them and they just grow like freaking Jack's Beanstalk. Like, you don't get it. (laughs) It's not fair. (laughs) Well, my weeds are the same way here. So we started just slowly cleaning the garden beds out and replacing them with raised beds. We have like this really big vision of what will go in eventually. And so right now we have one raised garden bed and that's what I put the fall garden in. And I actually got to do something really special that I've been meaning to do all summer, but because of my back issues that I've had, like I just hadn't got around to it. Uh The kids and I put in a fairy garden in the middle of that bed. So even if like the vegetables don't actually make it because we're going to have a first frost within like the next 30 days. So I'm already looking out for like how to protect these like, plants during the first frost because we'll have a frost and then we're going to have 15 days of beautiful weather again yeah. we'll have a frost and then it'll be another 15 days of beautiful weather so I think we're going to get like some kale and stuff out of it I, I picked like more cold hardy vegetables that grow really fast like uh-huh. like uh, I did kale and spinach which should stand up to it and some Swiss chard those should stand up to a frost also nice. the lettuce probably won't stand up to a frost but I'll put a bucket over it and I went ahead and planted some pole beans, like some pole green beans to go up my little trellis that I have in my photo. I put a photo of my fairy garden on my Instagram account if you are interested in looking at it. I won't like link to it or anything, but if you want to find it, you can go find it. Um, and I don't know that we'll get any green beans because green beans aren't cold hardy, I don't think. So we'll see. Though, I mean, it'll at least vine up and start looking pretty. So I'm working on baby steps with the gardening. So... It's never too late to at least put in something pretty that will bring you joy. Exactly. Even if it doesn't bring you vegetables. (laughs) I just looked at it. It's so cute. See, I freaking hate this Instagram algorithm because I'm missing so many people's stuff. And it just makes me mad because like stuff like this is so cute. I love it. You're like, that should have shown up. We'll just go through and heart all my stuff and maybe Instagram will start serving me to you. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> they're like, these two are too powerful together. <laughs> we have to make them separate. No. No. <laughs> well, and something else we're working on, too, around our farm. So we have a neighbor that got a tractor. It's an old, like, 1980-something uh, Massey Ferguson. And he got it running, and I learned how to drive it. 
and he's going to store it in our barn because he doesn't have a barn on his property. Okay. What we're going to do is um, he's storing his tractor here and we're going to get to use it for some stuff. So we're working on like we're trying to find a, a baler because we've got that big pasture that we just let overgrow so that we can chop it down into hay and then bale it. And we're going to make a bigger garden and the four of us are going to work on it together. So it's going to be like a little Ooh. neighborhood garden that we do together because we think that that will make it more fun and easier to take care of because there will be four adults taking care of it instead of just my husband and I trying to do it. Great. And like, let's face it, if you have a garden that's even semi-productive, you always end up with more of one thing at a time than you can really use yourself. And preserving all of that is so much more fun when there's multiple people doing it together. I hate canning by myself, but canning with a friend is so much fun. So we're doing the teamwork makes the dream work with the neighborhood. I love it, though. That's so fun. Yeah, I mean, and I don't foresee any problems coming out of it. Because, like, what, are we going to, like, fight over vegetables out of it? We have the Mennonites down the road. So if we run shy of something like beets or, you know, like peas or something, like, we can just go pick them up locally grown also. So That's funny. Yeah, I just, like, don't foresee anything like that. It'll be so nice to have the four of us, like, drinking beer together, putting it in and harvesting and... I'm really looking forward to it. I'm already ready for next summer. Oh, my God, Beth. <laughs> you just said you're ready for fall, and now you're like, I'm ready for summer. <laughs> I told you, I'm fickle. I'm fickle over here today. That's too funny, though. <laughs> Are you looking for something that's totally safe to use in your coop and around your house to repel pests? Well, we have discovered the most amazing product called First Saturday Lime, and it is safe to use around your fur, feather, and human babies, around your home, and in, like Bev said, in your chicken coops, stables, and barns, and we actually even use it in our duck ponds. And by ponds, I mean pools, because we're cheap like that. But we sprinkle a little bit in there, and it actually helps keep the funk down. Yeah, First Saturday Lime is so useful, like, regardless of what kind of animals you have or how many you have it helps keep smells down helps keep flies down helps keep pests down like this is a product that you definitely want to be using every first saturday make sure you go to firstsaturdaylime.com and check it out and then when you buy it make sure you use hashtag drink when you check out to get 10 percent off and you can use that hashtag every time you check out and buy for Saturday Lime. Because remember, you want to buy at least one bag a month because you want to lime every month. What are you waiting for? Go do it right now. Meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said right meow. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on over there? Um, Not too much. We moved the My Pet Chicken. I'm just going to call the My Pet Chicken order. <laughs> <laughs> we moved those chickens <laughs> from the garage to the chicken tractor within the chicken coop because they're, I think they're like six weeks old today. Um, so obviously they're in Cluckingham Palace with like in the chicken tractor within that because it's so open in there. We're able to have that set up, which is really handy for integrating flocks. But because there's 18 of them, like they outgrew what we had going on in the garage pretty quickly. So they're in there now since they're six weeks old. At six weeks old, um, they only need about 70 degrees to be happy. But we have the, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's one of those like wall panels that you can turn on for heat. It's like a radiant heat. 
So we have that upstairs of the chicken tractor just in case. Um, but the nights here are about 70 degrees, so it works out pretty well. Um, and they're able to just go upstairs, downstairs, but they're still separated from the other chickens since we know what the disease was when we were having some chicken deaths happening. We know it's not airborne. I felt much better about putting them in there at that age, um, but they're still separate from all the poop and everything. Like they're going to start being introduced to the dust and stuff. But this order of chicks was so incredibly healthy that it just blows my mind that, you know, they traveled a distance and they all did so well. So I'm going to knock on wood that I'm not jinxing anything right now. <laughs> um, but we moved them, which is, um, which is really fun. And then the bunnies that we have gotten upgrade because we cleaned up where we had the chicks and put them in there. Um, and it's probably like a, like a three foot type, like fence that we have, like a little dog area in there. Um, it was like a doggy gate thing and it, it works pretty well, but Vino somehow jumped over that and was roaming the garage by herself with one of her little babies, which is about mm, four and a half weeks old. So I'm not sure how the little one got out. Um, he must have some mad jumping skills already. Or he was um, just like hanging onto her back. Maybe. Yeah. She's like, Drop, <laughs> jump on kiddo. We're going to bust this joint. <laughs> but they have a lot of space in there and they're running around but yeah four of them are definitely old enough for us to um give away but we're just going through this thing right now where somebody's like yeah i want two of them and then when you mes- message them to say hey they're ready they ignore your message um mm. which is really cute like if you don't want them anymore that's fine just yeah, say like so. just say something yeah, yeah. but i don't want to you know i my plan is to take them to a uh feed store that is always looking for bunny vendors um, and just leave them there. Cause that's what we did last time. And it was a really good experience and a good deal. And I feel like we got a fair price because they're not looking to make money off the rabbit themselves. They're looking to make money off of the other things people are going to buy when they buy the rabbit. So I felt good about doing that there because they're, well, and I'm not selling meat rabbits either. Like the, the Polish rabbits are smaller. So it's literally like a pet that somebody wants I don't think anybody would buy like a meat rabbit that was ready um, for a butcher, like to butcher themselves, maybe like to start well, their own like meat rabbitry. But yeah, like it yeah, seems yeah. like it would be too expensive, at, you know, like whatever they charge for the rabbit. Yeah, to... they definitely have had people go in there for the meat rabbit breeds to say, I want a male and a female so I can start breeding them for yeah. meat production. Yeah. yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I'm really excited. I'll just like kind of plug something that's coming up. Uh, farm to table mama on instagram she Uh just butchered her first batch of meat rabbits this weekend and she's going to be on the podcast to talk to us about um what it was like starting her own like rabbit butchery for her homestead so that'll be coming yeah i mean not like within like the next couple of weeks but it we should be getting that recorded and out soon yeah soon which i'm interested to talk about that because bunnies are just like oh they're so cute meat chickens yeah they're cute but you can definitely tell when they're ready to be butchered with bunnies like i have a a male bunny his name's pino and he's a new zealand california mix i think so he's he's pretty big boy but i can't imagine like butchering him so i'm just curious to see like how she gets around the cute factor if it's just that she like sets her mind to this is their purpose from day one or how she handles it because 
I don't think my gut is strong enough to to do that quite yet. But, you know, I'm interested to learn because I think, you know, it's probably a really easy source of meat to have on the farm, right? Yeah, well, so it's supposed to be like one of the most sustainable and like less expensive options for getting meat on the homestead. And actually, so it's funny that we're talking about this. Um, We ate rabbit yesterday. Uh, Some of our neighbors yeah, gave us some rabbits that he had taken care of. And we smoked them. And they were pretty good. Um, There are a couple of things we need to do differently. They were kind of dry. Um, But I put like a rub on them. And then we smoked them and mopped them in barbecue sauce. Uh, Like the tenderloin area was really good. I tried tried to eat a thigh, but like it was really hard to cut through the skin with my teeth. Okay. Like for lack of a better way to describe it. So it was like kind of chewy and dry. So I didn't really care for that part. Um, Mm -hmm. But the meat tasted fine. So I think that it's definitely something that we could end up doing here eventually, like for some of our meat. Yeah. But we have a pretty decent wild rabbit population and you can hunt them during like the proper hunting season. So my husband's working on getting his hunting license so that we can do that. And we might just end up hunting wild rabbits. But yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's cool. You should definitely like Pinterest some rabbit stew. Because I've only, I think I've only had rabbit like slow cooked before and it's very, a very good way to prepare it because it comes out very tender. Mm. Um, So yeah, no. And, and this kind of leads into the other thing that Sam has had like an epiphany about the past week, (laughs) which is, feels silly because we talk about it all of the time, especially after watching all of these documentaries and just talking to you and I know you've talked about it a couple of times where you just do a couple like one or two meatless meals a week and it just I feel like it finally like sunk into my brain like how after watching all these documentaries how meat is prepared and treated at like the commercial level and it's like something I always known but sometimes you have to hear things over and over and over again before it really sinks in I think it finally sunk in that, wow, I, I don't have the setup right now to raise all my own meat, but I want to get to that point. And until then, and even after then, probably more so, because you really realize when you're doing your own processing of meat, like how labor intensive it is, how costly it can be. Um, you know, I go to the store now and I buy like 10 pounds of chicken breast and it's just all breasts like in a row. And you're just like, this isn't one, like this is multiple chickens and it's just their breast. Like, where's the rest of them? And then you look up and there's like, you know, 12 chicken legs like staring at you. Um, and you just realized, wow, like how is the meat really being processed and put together and what conditions and blah, blah, blah. So Sam's decided to do, to try to do two meatless meals a week And we did our first one last night. Now, I didn't announce this to my husband at all. I just decided to do it. That was a good idea. (laughs) So hopefully it's not bad. But last night we had um, local corn on the cob because they put out this like little cart thing. um, Oh, you went to the the corn cart. Yeah. And I did that and it was delicious. It's so good. So sweet. And then I also did a, what was it called? Oh, it was like a veggie stromboli. So it had like red peppers and um, to- sun-dried tomatoes and provolone and, you know, and it was just like in this pizza dough thing. And it was like, I didn't even miss not having meat on yeah. my plate. But I think because that's how I was raised, like there was always a meat protein on the plate. Like 
in my brain, it's like, it's not really a meal if there's no meat, which isn't true at all. So it's like almost having to relearn um, what food means, you know, just kind of go back to the basics of obviously I don't want to eat a lot of processed carbs and things like that. Cause I know I've known quote unquote vegetarians that all they eat is processed shit and they're overweight and they're unhappy. It's like, no, I'm not going to call myself a vegetarian obviously, but I want to be more conscious of what's on my plate. So that's another thing Sam's trying to do right now is just rethink everything, which is harder than it sounds. <laughs> Yeah, it's harder. It, it's hard to do those um, vegetarian meals to accidentally like, you know, make them like, you know, cheese stuff ravioli from the <laughs> frozen section or right, like, yeah, yeah, because all of that stuff in moderation, they're fine. But if you're yeah. trying to do like one or two meatless meals a week, like you want to try to rotate in like really nutritious Mm-hmm. you know, meatless meals. And I have a cookbook that I use for a lot of my meatless meals. It's actually called, it's Mayam's Vegan Cookbook. And I'll oh, put a link to it in the okay. show show notes. Yeah, Mayam, um, she is on the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a vegan and has this cookbook. And I'm not vegan, but there are a lot of recipes in it that I really like. Like my favorite is her tacos. It like doesn't involve a tortilla or anything. It's like tacos what? baked in a casserole dish, but it's got like Whoa. quinoa and black beans and zucchini and like so many spices. Like it kind of shows you that you can get flavor and satisfaction without having to have a protein on the table. And like I don't use the because she's vegan. It has like the diet cheese in it. No, I like put regular cheese in it because we're not vegan. Yeah. We eat real cheese. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like little things like that. And that cookbook has really helped me make a few meatless meals that were really good. So I wasn't just like serving spaghetti and sauce for dinner for our meatless meal. I mean, I do that sometimes because, you know, that's just what we have on hand. But well, that and sometimes you're just busy and it's not about shaming yourself into feeling like you have to do it all at once and you have to go balls to the walls and no processed food like I'm not gonna go to the to any of the middle aisles in the store like if you go that extreme and you can handle that fine but for me if I don't ease myself into something it's not gonna go well just like I've done the keto diet before and it worked really well long term not so great for your body and your kidneys so you know, do your own research on it. But I was trying to give a friend advice. And I was like, you know, it was telling her to eat eight grams of carbs a day. And it's like, do you realize like, you can sneeze and eat eight grams of carbs a day? Like, (laughs) the minimum for keto is anywhere between like 20 and 50 grams a day, which is hard enough as it is. And that's net net carbs. So that's carbs minus fiber. Um, But still, I the only way I was successful in that diet for a couple months was because I eased myself into it over the matter of a couple weeks. Um, because Bev and I were talking earlier about if I try to do anything like balls to the walls, I end up getting like frustrated, like, don't tell me what to do. And then I'll go binge on cheesy bread or something like that. So with anything, I recommend just trying to, you know, take it easy on yourself. Eat your Cheez-Its or whatever if you still want to eat your Cheez-Its. <laughs> but, but, you I know, know Cheez-Its just... will give you salmonella now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ritz crackers. Like, I love cheese and crackers, you know. And now that can kill me, too. So, yeah. 
But yeah. So, oh, and I was talking to my brother about all this today, too, because he's actually, like, doing bodybuilding right now. Oh, Um, neat. Yeah, he's going to do some competition, I guess, next year. Um, And I was joking with him about gifting him a a cow and, like, growing it for him and, like, just giving him the food at, like, the meat at Christmas or something like that. And he was like... (laughs) all about that and I was like you know what that might be like a really fun way to gift something meaningful to my family is if I can fill their freezer instead of giving them something that they don't really need or want like you can feed them like if you you can manage to do that you know if it's within your means to do that obviously like sometimes it's hard enough to feed yourself if you're going your own meat for yourself um, or attempting to do that but it's like well shoot if I already have one pig or one cow Maybe I'll just get two, and then voila, there's your Christmas present. <laughs> I love that idea. We'll have to we'll have to chew about that like later. I, I think yeah. that that's an interesting concept. We could totally work out like how how that could work and be implemented. Yeah, I and I definitely idea. yeah, and you know, my husband just started a new job, and when that happens, you. You know, you're playing catch up a little bit because of the way the paychecks land and stuff. So it's not something I can implement right away. And I'd obviously need to build, you know, fences for cows and pigs and things like that and learn a lot um, before I just dive into raising my own meat outside of... I feel like I could handle meat chickens okay at this point based on what I've learned from you and the internet. Um, But like cows and pigs, like I just have to do some real research before I dove into that. So probably be like next spring or summer before I truly entertain that idea. (laughs) But it's just I thought it was kind of a fun thought, though. All in due time. Yeah. Well, I I have to mention one thing just because you were talking about how like your your tendency is to like fight something when you try to like, you know, go two balls to the walls into something Mm -hmm. and like deny yourself something. Uh, It sort of reminded me of a book that I read. Um, It's called The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She Mm -hmm. did. Uh, the Happiness Project, which was a book that okay. I really loved. I loved The Happiness Project, but she also did a book called The Four Tendencies, and you kind of like take a test and learn like what your internal tendencies are, and then it helps you like plan to reach your goals based on what's going to be most successful for your personality type. Now, like okay. I know that like we can't all be pigeonholed into four personality types, but. Right. Reading the book sort of opened my eyes to some of the things that I tend towards and helps me like create tools for myself to fight those specific tendencies that I had. So I'll link to that in the show notes in case anybody's interested in it. Yeah, I just Googled it really quick and it looks interesting. So it might be one of those audio books that I have to buy. I know, right? Audible is constantly sending me emails. You have six credits and that's all that you can have. So you need to buy a book. <laughs> I'm like, why what do I even dick. have this? <laughs> I'm like, clearly I don't buy enough audiobooks, but I really love my Audible subscription because I listen to them, you know, like while I mow and drive and stuff. Yeah. So. <sighs> Apparently you just need to listen to more books. Yeah. My husband does a pretty good job using up the credits too. <laughs> hey, Sam, do you know what time it is? It's grubbly happy hour time. Woohoo! Woo. <laughs> I can hear the chickens running already just at the word grubbly. <laughs> yeah, it's a know. good thing that mine are in their coop right now because otherwise <laughs> they would have like come and busted through the window. <laughs> yeah. 
my flock is like crazy excited about grublies. Um, so if you don't know what grublies are, grublies are black soldier flies. So they're like an alternative treat to mealworms because, you know, like most mealworms are grown in China. I almost said made in China, but like worms aren't made. <laughs> well, <right>? technically <laughs> they might be made in China. <laughs> When they're little squiggly, parasite, gross-looking things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but grublies are made in America. And I especially love that they are sustainable because every pound of grublies you purchase equals 10 pounds of food waste that's been diverted from landfills, and it offsets 7 pounds of carbon dioxide. So I'm not really good at math, but grublies just both sent us the trig tank, which is like 5 pounds of grublies. And so that's a lot of good for the environment just from those two tanks. Oh, yeah. And uh, when you order the one-pound bags, those bags that the Grublies come in, those are compostable. So compostable. Why do I have so much trouble with that word? I don't know. Yeah. Compostable. Yeah. Yeah, You know, you put it in your (laughs) composter and it turns it into yummy dirt for your garden. There you go. Yay. Circle of life. (laughs) Woohoo. I like it. And I'm totally planning on using that tub to store like feed and things like that to keep the bugs out. So that tub will not be wasted because it's glorious. Oh yeah, no. It's way too handy of a tub. And when you give your flock grublies as a treat, you're also giving them like a really nutritious treat because it's really high in calcium, which helps like create stronger eggshells and healthier yolks and all of that good stuff. So it's a treat you can give to your chickens and feel really good about. Yeah, and there's a ton of protein in there, so it's good for their feathers, especially when they're molting and they're feeling super awkward about themselves and want to eat their feelings a little bit. Um, that's something you can give them in good, are a good thing for that. <laughs> yes. So grublies are love. Yes. And because we love you guys and Grubbly loves you guys, we can offer you a coupon code for 20% off. Use code WINE20, W-I-N-E. Two zero at checkout and you'll get twenty percent off. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> well, we should probably dive right into the cod episode of Rotten since yeah. we finally finished up the Rotten series. I know we took a little hiatus there, and then you know we had garlic and now cod, which are just seem like they should be two extreme opposites. But you know what? I'm finding that all these Rotten episodes have the underlying theme of big mean people, government. And then in the poor little guy, like that's kind of <laughs> the common theme of them all, no matter what the product is. Well, and it's funny that we did all of these rotten episodes, like sort of in the early days of our podcast. I wouldn't mind coming back and revisiting them again after like a year or two when we're like further in to like this farming lifestyle because like we're both relatively new at this. So it seems kind of funny that we would put together a podcast about this because like I don't know that (laughs) we necessarily have any like magic information that like other people can't get a hold of. Um, But I mean, all we do is create a safe space to talk about it and like a safe place to learn about stuff. So I guess that's what we are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm curious to see, like, if our opinions change on some of the stuff after, like, a year of being, like, quote, unquote, like, in the food creating, more conscious food consuming area. Right. I think our opinions might change, but I don't think a lot of these underlying themes, sadly, are going to change because they're not going to change overnight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like a year is not going to be long enough to like fix a whole industry. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think if a year was long enough, like, like we saw with this COD episode, 
it seems like the decisions that were made were kind of almost overnight and maybe not well thought out and it totally rocked an industry. So reversing that should probably not be as fast either. (laughs) Right. Yeah. After listening back to like how we talked about the garlic episode, I was like, man, like we really should have done like a recap of like what the episode was about. But this episode was really difficult to just give a whole like overview recap. I I don't think that that's possible because they just touched on (laughs) so many things and went back and forth so often. I mean, like they Mm -hmm. interviewed everybody. They interviewed fishermen in the industry. They interviewed people that worked for this EDF company or I guess like nonprofit. Yeah. I I wrote it out. Where is it? Environmental Defense Fund. Yeah. Which is (laughs) just makes me LOL. (laughs) Um, I think at a very high level though, basically, and I thought it, I, I, caught the scent like this theme like it felt a lot like the whole government cheese thing in the dairy episode because basically they were depleting the cod um these fishermen were just like life was good they're fishing then there's this act that comes in and like mag what was it the magnuson stevens act and like only americans can fish within 200 miles of shore and the federal government offered to help out with low-cost loans and yeah and it was, was because like, the chinese were overfishing right like the areas off of the new england coast because that's just what they do that's just like, what the chinese do no uh, i don't want to say anything bad about like a whole well we'll like, say region okay. <laughs> so the overlying thing of this too is the U.S. is so regulated now and the rest of the world is not that it's hard to compete with foreign imports of seafood because they're not regulated and following, quote unquote, the rules like we are in America, even though the rules aren't enforced on them because yeah. they're a foreign entity. They're not paying so, a living wage. They don't have safety regulations on their boats. Yeah, Right. And with this, like shit was really good. Um, the government came in and, quote unquote, helped. Right. But then all of a sudden, all of this help to the fishing industry, there was this crash of cod. They referred to it as like the cod crash. So and then they're and like, that was the population of cod, like basically like went away. Exactly. So they couldn't fish anymore. So the American fishermen were complaining because the Chinese fishermen were taking all the fish. So the American government stepped in and was like, here, we'll make sure that the Chinese can't take the fish anymore. And then the American fisheries overfished the fish. Right. And, and shit was just good, like they were making so much money, and then it crashed. So then the government said, oh, hold up, okay, okay, okay. So we're going to use this um, corporation, or what is it, organization called NOAA. Do you know what NOAA stands for? Uh, yeah, it's, um, oh my gosh, uh, I work with NOAA. <laughs> so this is really embarrassing that I have to Google this, but I can't. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what it stands for. Uh, we we usually do we like do local streams and lakes and things like that so we don't right. have to deal with NOAA like on a daily basis. Okay, so NOAA stands for National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So the federal government left it up to eight regional councils to set limits on fishing. Fine. Okay. So then NOAA came in and they helped with um the measurements that indicate the limits of fishing which is a scientific method to estimate the numbers, but admittedly it's not accurate because you can't see directly um, how many fish there are. They move, the area is vast, and it's underwater. But again, it's not perfect, but 
you know, as Bev pointed out in our notes here, like you can't call something basically witchcraft if you don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was how I felt when I was watching that part because I was like, this is what my company does. Yeah. So if you don't know anything about me, I'm the general manager of an environmental consulting firm and counting fish is what we do. We count fish populations. I am not a scientist, so I'm not a technical person, so I can't really like go into how all of it works. Um, but there is like there is a, a science to it and it does work like counting fish populations does work in some semblance. Now, like the ocean is bigger than like the small lakes and rivers and streams that we do. But our population estimates seem to be um, seem to be pretty on track for what like the other agencies and whatnot think that it is so like population estimation does work and they they employ like a, a ton of different ways to do it they do like fish tagging um where they use mm -hmm. like transponders to like track movements of like you know like the schools of fish and whatnot um they actually do like netting where they actually just net to count and release and usually when they do that netting, they'll also like somehow tag so that they can track all of the fish that they've netted. They go back and they see if they've caught a fish before, which will help like give them a timeline of like, you know, where these fish are traveling and how long they're living and whatnot. It's really fascinating stuff. I'm not a scientist again, so I won't try to get too deep into it. But yeah, when I saw that, I was like, just because you can't see through the water doesn't mean that the way that they're doing it is wrong. <laughs> right. And, and I agree with that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, there's this organization that, yes, they're scientists. Yes, they know what they're doing. But they're completely disregarding the fishermen, period. Like, they're not asking them for their opinion. They're not really taking it into account because they're the ones out there they know where the fish are. And later in the documentary, they talk about avoiding those heavily populated cod areas now because they don't want to catch too many, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But I thought it was really interesting. I didn't know this, that um, samples are taking, taken from the fish to study the age of the fish because apparently there's some kind of like bone that develops over time and it can be like counted like the rings on a tree to do, determine the age of a fish. So they can determine like, okay, this fish is like three years old or whatever. And so we know that based on this many fish being this many years old, like this helps us determine the count. Like I didn't know that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Well, and so something else that I meant to, I can't remember if I made a note of it in here. We have so many notes on COD. I'm I like, know. We're going to get lost and we're not going to get it all out. Um, but fine. before I forgot to say something about this, like something else to keep in mind too about the fishermen is like, so this is their way of life. So they're automatically biased like to the idea that there are plenty of fish in the sea. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a saying that we have. We say that yeah. about like a lot of things. They don't want their way of life to go away. I mean, one guy in the documentary was talking about how he really wanted his son to be able to take over the family fishing business. Like he is doing from his dad and he's afraid that that's not going to happen. But like, there are lots of industries that just end up going away because of various things. And some of it is just the resource that that they're collecting just can't sustain an industry like that, for lack of a better right. way to express it. Yeah, like I don't want to compare it to any specific industry, but like, I mean, resources do run out when we overuse them. Like we tend to just like, it's like we do, like, I don't know what it is as people. We like find something and we're like, shit, man, we got so much of this. Let's use, 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 use it all. And then we're like, oh no, we're running out. What do we do? Right. Right. But then you have the whole foreign fish market that comes in 
and they're causing price issues and they're freezing and they're refreezing and they're adding additives and it's cheaper and there's no truth in these foreign fish labels. So, you know, we, we have this issue of these fishermen in New England doing the honest thing and fishing and it's fresh fish and it's American fishermen and they can't really sustain what they're doing for multiple reasons, obviously, you know, after the regulations, which we'll get into shortly. Um, they can't keep up with this foreign stuff being imported into the United States either. Because yeah, it's so much cheaper. Right. I mean, we're all a little budget conscious, right? So Exactly. And we've talked about it before where, like, you know, food should probably cost more than it actually does. Like, if we're getting the quality that we think we should be getting. Uh, because it's not cheap to fish. It's not cheap to farm. It's not cheap to do any of that stuff. So, of course, the budget-conscious person is going to go to Walmart, like I do, and buy whatever's on sale or the cheapest. I don't really think about when I buy my fish, I will now, um, where it came from. I just, I don't. Because fish, to me, is kind of expensive compared to some other meat sources I could get. But I'm told that, you know, fish is better for you um, because I'm supposed to be doing this stupid Mediterranean diet thing, which is like (laughs) eating fish like three or four times a week. I can't afford on my budget right now, thanks to student loans, um, you know, fresh wild caught fish. So I'm probably getting some shrimp or fish that's grown in like, you know, a little container. Because I just don't know any better and I can't afford it. I mean, there but, are some ethically you know. farmed um, sources of fish. I can't name any off of the mm-hmm. top of my head, but maybe mm-hmm. we can dive into that some other time. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Um, I feel like I say this a lot, but like, um, so I've, I don't usually buy fish from the grocery store either. It's just something that I've never done. I think I... So my dad lived in Alaska for a number of years. When I went up to Alaska to go visit him, I came home with 100 pounds of fish. Wow. Because we went and did a chartered fishing trip like out into uh, the Gulf of oh, the Gulf of Alaska. I want to say that that's the Gulf we went out in, but I might be wrong about that. Um, but we caught halibut and lingcod and um, rockfish, like all sorts of fish. So my family only had like sustained of little fish mm-hmm. like I can't eat grocery store fish anymore because it sucks compared to all the stuff that we had <laughs> so now right. I just choose not to but before right. that yeah like I totally bought fish from the store but it's been a long time I'm trying to remember when that trip was but yeah I mean that's always an option but I mean everybody yeah. doesn't have a relative that lives in Alaska so right. like I realize like, that I'm like really out of touch in the that. ocean <laughs> I mean, I there mean, are charters that, that do nice. that, though. Yeah. Yeah, but not every, you know, there are some people in the middle of America where it'd be super difficult to get to, like, an ocean. To, yeah. You know. I mean, you can fish on lakes and things like that. Like, I, we have and the Great Lakes. And we do lakes, that, too. But, yeah. you know. But anyways, so uh, through the 1990s, Noah did a really, quote unquote, good job of limiting the number of days a fisherman could fish um, to help the cottery population. And it did work. Um, and then they introduce the cod father. Um, Which, hold on. Here. We have to make fun of the fact that there's a cod father out there. <sighs> but that just, uh, the fact that there is a cod father, first of all, <laughs> he's a bad, bad man. 
I mean, it just goes to show that people, when given the opportunity, will do like the shittiest thing possible. Like somebody's gonna come right. out there and do it. They're like, oh, you need an asshole to jump in and like ruin all of this for everybody. Here, I'll do it. But here's the thing. So the government kind of opened it up for this guy to just come in and do all this bad stuff. So high level, he has a lot of convictions, indictments, and fines for working conditions on their boat, policy violations, all this fun stuff. Like he is a bad dude. However, Noah had the idea of using these things called catch shares. So this is like an overall number of fish that are allowed to catch. And it's divided up among all the fishermen, which sounds fine. Until you realize that, you know, the freaking cod mafia is going to come in and just flip the tables and do what they want. They're going to, like, buy all the fish shares, right? Exactly. Because there aren't any rules about, okay, this fisherman can only have this many shares. Like, that's the cutoff for that individual or that company. They left it all willy-nilly so you could just buy up the shares. Well, that's what he did. Hold on. I have to pause you really quick, though, because, like, it feels like some of the overarching theme in some of these documentaries are like, oh, like, the U.S., like, over-regulated this and over-regulated this. And then it's like, oh, like, they didn't regulate this enough to, like, prevent this stuff from happening. It's like, no matter what they do, they can't win. Well, and here's the thing, too. Later on in the episode, it does come out that somebody that was part of the EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, who is all about this catch share idea, was nominated to be part, you know, like the head person at NOAA. And she came in balls to the walls and pushed something through so fast within like the first year of her being there that I don't think it was well thought out. I think in her mind or whoever was helped backing her, their mind we're just going to come in and do this and we're going to be, you know, the heroes that helped rebuild the cod population and, you know, we're going to go on our merry way. It wasn't well thought out. They did talk about having those caps, but that didn't make it into the final plan. Now, I didn't have enough to Google time to Google like why um why it wasn't added in there, but it seems like kind of a common sense idea to me. It's because probably I don't because know. big fish companies like we're giving campaign money to people who would prevent something like that from exactly. going in. I mean, I'm just making exactly. that up. I could be totally wrong, but we all know like how the government works. And so I want to say that that's probably. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that was part of it. And just like, you know, with other things that are pushed through in government, somebody wants to say, I did this while I was in government. And they don't truly think about the repercussions all the way around. You know, they look at it as a very black and white issue. But again, there's a lot of gray area in this. Because while the cod and the cod population was rebuilt, it really screwed a lot of people out of jobs. And I it makes me wonder if those limits were put into place. Like maybe like obviously not everybody probably would have been able to keep their jobs, but maybe more people, because it did note in the documentary that fifteen hundred of the boats that were existing um didn't or let me rephrase that. The fleet went from 1,500 boats to 300 boats, like in yeah, the matter of three job. to four years. That's a huge drop. That's a lot of people's livelihoods. Now, did we need 1,500 boats to begin with? Probably not. But 300, like that is an insane drop. And that came from the catch shares and that freaking godfather. Like, I can't even say it without <laughs> laughing. He bought up like 25% of those shares. Because he just was like, I'm going to do what I want. So, you know, that that 
that thoughtlessness of not putting that cap in place and just thinking that, you know, we're going to give these people these, um, these catch shares and they're all going to follow the rules and it'll be fine. And they're all going to be good stewards of their catch shares. And, you know, we're going to go on our happy way because all people are good. Which totally sounds like something Bev would have made up. It does. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam's like, trust no one, help no one. People are assholes. (laughs) Like, if you're going to put rules in place, at least, like, think about how to prevent the bad guy from doing the bad thing. Because while most people are good, you do have people like the Codfather, you know, that end up, you know, funneling their money through Pol- Portugal and having all this bad stuff come along. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I also thought it was really interesting, too, that... 15 years before all of this happened in New England, like they did catch shares in Iceland. Oh, yeah. I thought that was interesting that that was so far ahead. Um, and, and the guy in there, of course, I didn't write his name down. He said that five to six individuals control the fishing now because they bought all the shares in Iceland. And then he came to America to basically say, don't do this, guys. Like, this is what happened in Iceland. And freaking it still happens in America. And that just makes me wonder, why do we not learn from other countries? Well, so it's because anything we want to say, like, I mean, that's what, like, America was founded on doing things our own way. Right? America. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just kind of like, that's like our culture, I guess. Right. If we had to pick a culture, it's like, we're Americans. We do things the way that we want to. Right. Even though we could totally, like, like, even I know this hot, hot button, so I'm going to generalize at high level, even with like healthcare. I don't think there's like one black and white way we could really go with it. But if you look around the world to see what works for other people and just take all those good parts and maybe rework them a little bit, maybe it wouldn't be so crazy here. I don't know. But no, somebody just wants to put their stamp on it and say, <laughs> I did this and right? not think about the repercussions of of those actions because with anything even if you do something like 99% perfect you're always going to have that 1% of people that get screwed right I was going to say yeah there's no perfect way to do anything like because even okay well we're talking about cod and fish but like because mm-hmm. we use like mm-hmm. the healthcare as an as an example like even if we fix the healthcare system like some poor healthcare adve- executive is going to be broke now and like be out of a job right and his son feel, can't I become less... a high yeah his son can't become the ceo of a health insurance company anymore so that dream has been dashed <laughs> right? right i like, feel less bad about that over like a uh, fisherman though. well but is it just because like his family is wealthy because of what they do that you feel less bad like it's still the same um... thing right i mean if you want to just like say like thing to thing like it's still ruining an industry that's been built up because of the rules that we currently have on the books like i don't know i'm just playing devil devil's advocate no no that and that makes sense because technically it is the same but yeah like on a high level on a high level yes um but i thought that whole iceland thing was super interesting and you know we i'm just looking at the notes here um it was really interesting that a lot of uh big corporations funded the edf which, like you said... <laughs> Did you is... see my note, though? What corporations? Yeah. He didn't list any. He has no sources. Oh, no, like, no. That was There were. Like... What? There I didn't were. hear that. It was, it was Walmart. It was Intel. And it was another one, which is a... They said it was like a... I can't remember what it was called, but it was a far... 
right libertarian group. Oh, which I found interesting because libertarians are usually like very much, you know, stay out of my bed, stay off my body kind of thing. Um, I don't want to say it's like anti-government, but it's more like smaller government. Yeah. Well, yeah. And anti-government wasn't the right word. What I meant was like, um, uh, <laughs> Sam's less, not like less freaking... regulations, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's more free market, more exactly. like free people. Oops. I whacked my mic because I'm waving my hands in the air as I show you how free and wide everything is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, that goes back to then. It makes you think these three major corporations are tied to funding for the EDF. This Jane Luchenko person was a chairman of the EDF. Then in 2009, she was nominated by President Obama to be the head of NOAA. And then she pushes fast and furious these catch shares through in 2010. It just makes you, you know, obviously, if the cod population was depleted, you do want to act fast. You don't want to keep them let, you know, just let them keep overfishing, obviously. Yeah, because then we end up like with a whole food source that's like gone ex- extinct, which. Exactly. You know. But why push it through so quickly that you do kind of a half ass job? Well, you know. you know, I like to think like in my brain, I like to think <laughs> that people are intentionally doing a half ass job. I think that when people act, they tend to do so because they really do in their minds think that that's the best thing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That idea tends to keep me from getting like overly angry or have like knee jerk reactions to anything that's going on. Um, You know, like even now or like in the past, like I just am kind of like, yeah, that person thinks that they're doing like the very best. But I wonder if they considered this or considered that. And like the answer is usually no, because they were just trying to get something done. Right. But then that makes me feel feel like this Codfather guy, like Carlos Raphael, like how different is he actually from this Jane person? Because Carlos was very intentional with snatching up his 25%, which he legally had the right to do. I mean, I was going to say, he I wasn't called doing him anything a dick, there. but he was really just opportunistic if you want to be He was like, being a smart businessman. Yeah. It wasn't fair, but he wasn't doing anything illegal from that aspect. Like, obviously, he did some other shit. And yeah, it wasn't very I mean, nice for you. Jail, right. <laughs> right. And it wasn't very nice that you, you know, didn't play nicely in the sandbox with everybody. But because that regulation was not well thought out and he found some loopholes, um, he didn't do anything wrong by buying those shares. But what blew my mind was that the quota that some of these people had, um, they compared it to what they used to catch in a one to two day trip. Yeah. And that was like their quota for the whole year. Yeah. Yeah, he showed uh, the amount of fish that they were allowed to catch in a whole year of, like, this Mm -hmm. one specific, you know, like, species of fish. I'm pretty sure that I caught that many of that species of fish, like, on a charter boat in a day. Yeah. And that's what he said, too. Like, you could charter a boat for a day and catch more than this. Yeah. And it'd be fine. So that's that's a little unbalanced in my brain, too. Like, if the commercial fishermen has to follow this quota then why would it be any different from uh, for a private citizen because instead of like spending the money to go buy that fish from market like they're spending the money on the charter obviously but you know they're getting all this fish out of the deal so that to me seems a little unbalanced too like if you're going to regulate the commercial fishermen why wouldn't you regulate the inter- the individual with a fishing license any differently like that was a little fish that was a little fishy to a little me fishy to you i like that fish joke thrown in well and so like fish are like a public resource just like like wild game and whatnot are 
a yeah. public resource. We regulate bag limits on, you know, like individual fishermen and, and we regulate head limits on specific type of game. And we do that so that we can keep the populations. I mean, are there, is there anybody that like goes and hunts deer and like has made an industry out of it? Like, I want to say no. I, I mean, I'm mm. sure that somebody might do that. I wouldn't but- call, but I think a lot of people will brand themselves as a hunter and make a lot of money with hunting shows and things like that. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that's different. But that's different than know? like actually hunting deer to package and sell at a Walmart. Right. Because that's sort of like what the fishing industry is because it's a public resource. Like it's just you as an American or a or a citizen of the state can get an in-state fishing license and go fish all your fish out if you want to, or this company can come and do it. Right. That's where like, I feel like it got a little, everything got a little murky because it yeah. is a public, the fish or everybody's fish, I guess. Like what that one, that salty fisherman said, he's pretty salty. Yeah. But I also thought it was really interesting to, that the government, when they put these regulations into place, made the assumption that Americans would want fresh American caught seafood and that they would buy it at a premium price. Um, and because it was less available, it would create a demand for it. Like it's kind of the sexy thing to do was to buy expensive fish. Um, but they did not take into account that the market is flooded with that foreign seafood, which, like we said before, frozen multiple times. Additives are you know added to it to keep it quote-unquote fresh um and because there was less demand for fresh seafood the fresh seafood lost shelf space because if it's not selling why would the store put it out yeah because it's it's something that expires so quickly so exactly yeah they can't dedicate fish fish space (laughs) they can't (laughs) dedicate shelf space to it if it's not gonna sell well yeah And then that just brings into like how complicated everything really is because Mm -hmm. you can't just add tariffs to foreign seafood now at this point because like we rely on China to like make our cell phones. So if we regulated their foreign fish, they're gonna give us higher tariffs like on giving us, you know, like the electronics that we all like love and crave and need. So it's like everything's like all intertwined. Yeah, and I also thought it was pretty gross that foreign seafood is rejected at a higher rate than any other food import due to the filth. Yeah, ew. Um, Like catfish and tilapia and, you know, that sort of thing. I'm pretty sure I just wrote, ew, on that. Ew, you did. You did. <laughs> but you're right, and it's. I'm also seeing this pattern, too, of, you know, China's got us by the balls with fish, with honey, with garlic with all of these different things and you're right like it is intertwined and you don't want to piss them off because they're pretty powerful and whether you agree with the way they do things or not it's basically just the way it is right now (laughs) (laughs) like i don't agree with the whole prisoners you know peeling garlic bare hands and losing their fingernails but, or with their you know. teeth bare exactly teeth. oh god <laughs> which is worse that or filthy fish <laughs> i mean if they can't get them gloves for their hands at least they could give them gloves for their teeth right <laughs> like mouth guards <laughs> i mean i think that that was a thoughtful and engaging conversation about fish 
Yeah, I'm just scanning the rest of the notes because there's still so many more. And I don't want to bore people that haven't watched it. But yeah, that Carlos dude, um, he was cheating the whole time. In 2015, undercover agents recorded Carlos saying he lied about his catch numbers, falsified government reports, and smuggled cash to Portugal through the Boston airport. He was charged with 23 counts of misreporting, cash smuggling, and tax evasion. Um, And in 2017, he pled guilty for everything, which means that now all of those quotas are up for grabs, but could leave the new Bedford area. So that trickles down to not only the fishermen, but the fuel suppliers, the welders, like everything that supports that industry. So that little effort, being the selfish little bastard he was, could make like that whole like little area that port collapse if those shares leave. Which is crazy to me. Like, it doesn't even just affect the fishermen. It infects so much more of the industry and the livelihood of those ports, which I think is something else that wasn't necessarily thought about when we were all, save the fishies, which, yes, we should save the fishies, absolutely. Um, but at what cost? There, In my mind, there has to be some kind of balance and acknowledgement that this is the way of life for a lot of people. And maybe while the way they're doing it and the amount of people doing it, are, it's not sustainable, but it just seems, I don't know, in my mind, <clears throat> when politicians are quote unquote for the people and they go in and do something like this and don't think about the trickle down effects, it just doesn't feel very for the people, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, it just sort of sounds like we need to somehow figure out how to get like a little more foresight into things like this. I mean, like we can't go back yes. and change the past, but. I don't know, maybe moving forward when we discover something that we want to harvest and use that's like a natural resource, we go about it a little more cautiously than we have in the past. I mean, I don't know if there's anything left to be discovered. We may have raped and pillaged it all by this point, (laughs) but I mean, maybe (laughs) I don't know. It's so like watching stuff like this just sort of reminds me of why I was so interested in even starting this lifestyle. I used to read things about like how growing food was like a revolutionary act and sort of roll my eyes at it a little bit because I never really thought of myself as a revolutionary. Like mm-hmm. I was just like, I just really want good tasting food and I'm kind of lazy and I want to be able to go out back and pick it rather than going to the store and getting it. I don't know. But every little tiny thing that you can do yourself uh, just makes a difference. It stops like exactly. this whole giant giant chain of industries from I don't know no it's it's true though because I think just having these conversations with you because your brain does work so much differently than mine and I absolutely respect you know your perspective and other people that you know can have a respectful conversation and not be an asshole I you know I totally respect their aspect as well um just some people aren't so nice about it you know well they're just Um, so dug in the ground that they're right like exactly whereas like your comparison of like the whole healthcare thing and that ceo's son not being able to be you know to take over someday it is the same exact thing in you know as you know this the fisherman's son in this story like it's the same but for some reason in my mind it was the difference so you saying that made me think differently and that's okay so, you know, like, it's always our theme in these freaking episodes to just 
don't be a dick and to be open-minded but well, you, know, you know it's funny like I just you guys got to see us work through that actively <laughs> well and it's funny like because I I'm always hesitant to say things like that because I don't want people to think like oh like you know Bev's just for like you know saving the rich CEO's son but it's that that's just not how my brain works though like I just I see them both like I, I see everything like on an even field I guess yeah for lack of a better way to say it yeah which makes my brain sort of work as the devil's advocate I'm not saying that that taking the job from one or the other is like not better or worse um because like there are clear like economic differences and there could be like historical reasons why you know like the guy's a, a fisherman and the other guy is a ceo like there's just like our social economies are just they're so much more complicated yeah. than that for lack of yeah. a better word it's hard to like articulate all of that in a you know 30 minute conversation about a documentary although we right. almost talked about the documentary for as long as the documentary was <laughs> I know. I'm so impressed by us, but we were so organized this time. We really were. And, you know, I've been meaning to, we need to post something in the group so that we can discuss garlic yes. um, a little deeper. And then we'll post something in the group so that we can all discuss this so that if you guys had any thoughts on something that we said or didn't say about the documentary, we can like dive into that a little deeper um, because we're always looking to learn more and see other perspectives. I think it helps us grow as human beings. No, exactly. And to wrap it up to one of the last things they did talk about in that episode or yeah, in the episode of the documentary series, um, their new strategy might be let's bring in wall street. Um, and they were potentially encouraging the financing of fisheries where the fishermen like lease fishing rights. And it's more of like corporate owned fisheries. Um, and, they called it sharecropping, which is landowner basically gets a percentage of the crop in exchange for allowing the for the farmer to live and farm there, um, but obviously with fish. So the end of the documentary was very up in the air because, you know, the codfather is behind bars. They're not sure what's going to happen next. Like, it kind of leaves you on a cliffhanger. Um, but I don't know that I want to watch a sequel because I got pretty fired up about this one. <laughs> But, it, you know, they're they're kind of back to square one and trying to figure out, okay, what are the next steps to make this better? Yeah. Um, so, like, there's a lot of responsibility there with the EDF and NOAA and those fishermen and the government to figure out a way to make this better. And, unfortunately, my very cynical brain thinks it's just going to, you know, not go well. But we'll see. <laughs> it's hard to say. I'm kind of hoping that they have a second season of Rotten come out because these are very eye-opening and good documentaries as like a very good starting point for people to do their research and learn. Yeah, they're thought-provoking and they give us the opportunity to have these discussions. Exactly. Because like, I would have never really thought to dive deep into where our fish comes from. Like, no. Mostly, I mean, like I've said a couple of times, like I'm all about the taste of something. So like I just was never really into foreign fish because of that I mean I guess yeah and that was just because of what my like little tiny experience was that not a lot of people are going to be able to relate to right and I grew up eating like fish stick sandwiches because it was cheap and now 
it just makes me think, okay, how many fish stick sandwiches did I <laughs> did I eat that barely like made the pass on a on a foreign shipping boat for filth? Well, like, I mean, oh. you're still alive, so there's that. Yeah, maybe it helped build up my immune system. Who knows? But <laughs> my husband said that his mom used to make salmon burgers out of canned salmon. Oh, and I was really? Like, Ew, but like I'm from California, so like fresh fish was kind of easy for us to get when I was yeah. growing up like because I lived You're... on the coast I don't know I'm Bev so out of touch sometimes snob. <laughs> Bev is a California hippie okay, who California has fresh hippie. fish <laughs> if, if my dad heard you refer to me as a hippie he would just like face bomb and he'd be like I failed <laughs> as a parent oh that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> I say that jokingly i know the utmost love and respect (laughs) (laughs) mostly because we like to give each other a hard time sometimes we do that's what i think that's what makes this podcast fun i mean one of these days we're gonna have enough episodes out that people can like have a test like on buzzfeed that says like are you a bev or are you a sam (laughs) and this is just more fodder for that test (laughs) yeah there you go we're just you know we're thinking very far in the future is all yeah i'm thinking like three years from now you think so? No, oh, I don't yeah. know. I have no idea. I'm hoping like two. I'm two excited. Good, I'm excited you know? about the number of listeners that we do have. Uh, yeah. I I will probably, you know, crumble to the ground and be very humbled when we, you know, if we ever hit like 100,000. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think crazy. I will too. And maybe I'll be a little <laughs> more shy because I'll be like, oh my God, 100,000 people are listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm getting like pretty comfortable with who I am and I am enjoying this podcast as a way to express that a little better as an introvert. Me too. So we're going to assign some homework today, right? Yeah. And I'm excited for this because my husband just randomly clicked on a documentary the other day while we were uh, just hanging out in the living room. And it, I think the documentary, I should probably double check this. I think it's called The Minimalists, because that's what the book's called. So there's this book called The Minimalist. It's really hard to say that really fast. That is really hard to say. But The Millennial Minimalist. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was a really big tongue twister. (laughs) Okay. Oh, um, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. Is that what it is? There we go. Yes. Okay. So you guys can look at that on Netflix. So you're probably like, why are we being assigned homework about minimalism? And that is because I think there is a correlation between the farm lifestyle or the homestead lifestyle and minimalism. Um, And like, it's funny, as I was watching this documentary, I started like looking around my living room like, okay, what could I really live without? And we have this huge tower of like DVDs. And it's like, I you never watch DVDs. Those. Get rid of those right now. I'm like, I can put them on eBay and sell them for like a dollar a piece. And there's probably like 200 sitting there. I own like, zero DVDs. Yeah. Well, with all the streaming services and it's like, maybe when I was younger, I used to rewatch movies a lot. But now it's like, if I've seen it once, I probably don't want to watch it again. Unless it's on like DirecTV and... You know, I'll watch Step Step Brothers like a billion times if it's just on the TV because it's stupid and it makes me laugh. Um, but if I had the DVD in my house, I wouldn't just put it in the TV just to watch. So 
I'm thinking I'm just going to sell all my DVDs. So, and I think that's a fun thing to think about too, is like how much money you have sitting in your house that you're not doing anything with and you can just like flip it online. And you know what? $200 can buy like a goat. <laughs> so It totally can. So there you go. <laughs> so I think that'll be a fun one um, for everybody to watch and then we'll discuss it next week. I'm going to rewatch it now that I know we're going to talk about it. So I will watch notes. it on Sunday morning and yes. then we'll record about it on Sunday afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. I'll figure out. And, I'll, well, I'll and some it of it later. too, I think is very much like take a grain of salt with it. Oh yeah. They're all, they're all taken you know. with a grain of salt. It's so funny. You say that, you say that phrase very oddly. Why? I always say, take it with a grain of salt. What and do you I say? say, take a grain of salt with it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's because you're from California. Oh, and yeah. You're weird. I know. <laughs> I'm never going to get rid of this Valley Girl accent. I'm telling you that right now. Oh, you're fine. Well, one of my friends did say you have a voice for radio and you can make a lot of money on radio. So apparently your voice is just fine. There we go. Bev's voice for hire if you need a radio (laughs) ad read. There we go. We're going to pimp out your voice. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, guys. We had a great time learning some more stuff and discussing it. Yeah. For your ear holes to enjoy. (laughs) Your ear holes. That sounds so weird. It does. It does sound weird. In my head, it sounded less holy. (laughs) Uh, So make sure you guys are following us on Instagram at Drink and Farm and be using that hashtag Drink and Farm because we like to watch you uh, safely drink and farm things. And then we feature you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. There aren't a lot of rules other than don't do it unsafely. So there. Our hashtag is easy. Yeah, exactly. So drink. Farm. And and give give zero zero clucks. clucks. Bye, Bye, guys.